When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Howdy, welcome to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast. It's Friday, but there is no coasting into the weekend here because there is so much going on in the world of Premier League football today. Not only were the 10 Premier League teams in action last night with West Ham's European journey hitting the buffers and the issues at Leeds United becoming even more apparent than they already were, we're going to talk about those things very shortly on Football Social Daily. But we also need to peer ahead into the weekend. There's our three-game roundup of the tastiest ties from the weekend's action as we make our predictions with Who Knows Wins and your chance to win £6,000. We'll get onto that shortly. And we've got a small matter of Chelsea Football Club being seized by the UK government as sanctions against Vladimir Putin and his cronies continues. We've got a proper expert to talk us through that shortly as well. Adding their non-expert views into the mix today, however, we've got Nama Korn and Marley Anderson. How are we doing, boys? I'm good. Morning, boys. And steady on, Jim, because actually I was uh, thinking about uh, yesterday's podcast and what you were saying about the games that took place last night, and you were pretty much spot on with all of them. That's like, <laughs> like Haley's comment, that, when it comes around every 30 years, I, I get something right. Amazing stuff. Right, so we're going to kick off with the situation at Chelsea. A hugely complex situation right now. As it stands, the club as an asset of Roman Abramovich has been seized by the UK government and Abramovich will be prevented from making any profits from its running. This means the club can play games, players and staff can be played, but it also means no more tickets can be sold for those games and the sale of the club that was mooted a few weeks ago has been put on ice as well. Hopefully to answer some of our and some of your questions as to what is, as I say, a hugely complex situation for Chelsea Football Club. We've got Kieran Maguire from the brilliant Price of Football podcast, an excellent football business podcast. How are you, Kieran? I'm good. Uh, another quiet day in the world of football finance awaits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is a pretty remarkable situation we see at Chelsea Football Club at the moment. We proved on yesterday's podcast that it's really difficult to grasp exactly what's going on. But I think the question that most Chelsea fans are probably asking at the moment is exactly how worried should they be about the future of their football club? Um, On a scale of one to ten, I'd, I'd probably put it no more than a, a three or a four. Uh, and the reason for that is that whilst Roman Abramovich's assets have been frozen, the the, the government has granted uh, a special license to allow Chelsea to trade. Um, I think there's, there's two issues on the back of that, uh, what money is coming in and, and what money is going out. We know in terms of the wage bill, it's around about £28 million a month. That's probably going to go out in the next you know, two and a half, three weeks. I think that's going to be the first focus uh, of of concern. Uh, We don't know how much money the club's got in the bank account or whether uh, the Premier League will advance some of the the money which is due from the remaining TV deals to cover the rest of the season to allow it to pay the wages. I mean, there's two different scenarios, I guess, two different questions. One is the future of Chelsea Football Club as a football club, as an entity. The other is what happens with Chelsea Football Club in terms of their success. As it stands right now, my assumption is that they're not allowed to sign any players, obvious, but obviously. But how does that work with contract renewals and the likes of Anthony Rudiger, whose contract's up very soon? Could they find themselves potentially in a situation, if this scenario drags on for 6, 12, 24 months, where their playing staff is just getting smaller and smaller and smaller because contracts are expiring and they're unable to bring new players in? That That is a potential issue. But if, if you take a look at the small print of the government licence, it expires on the 31st of May. And the club has already made representations to the government to try to flex some of the terms of the contract. For example, uh, in terms of travel expenses to matches, uh, that is limited to £20,000. Now, Mm. whilst that 
well, yeah, that would just about cover a, a full tank these days. Um, in, um, from from the perspective of the club, uh, you know, they would be normally chartering flights uh, to, uh, especially for, for Champions League matches, that, that could be a challenge. So there could be some flexibility there. They're limited to £500,000 a match in terms of, of match day overheads. And all of this is to try to protect the, the club or to try to protect the government's position in, in the sense could Roman Abramovich attempt to game the system by saying, well, I'll, I'll, I'll arrange a flight for, for Chelsea and it's going to cost a million pounds a match. So I think the government is, is, is taking a cautious approach. That it will be in continued negotiations with the club. Um, in terms of the sale of Chelsea Football Club, which, which is another concern, again, officially under the licence terms, that cannot go ahead, but the government will be practical and pragmatic and and find a workaround such as overseeing the sale and ensuring that any gross proceeds or or proceeds less agents fees and so on that it approves of go to a go to an account that can't be accessed by Roman Abramovich I mean the government very handily gave Roman Abramovich a good two weeks heads up that they were going to be seizing his assets pretty much and he managed to move a lot of his finance out of the country but the Chelsea Football Club was a little bit more of a challenge it's been for sale for two weeks there were some rumours about potential takeovers if the government do allow a sale and like you say they're going to be pragmatic with their approach here is it an attractive proposition at the moment? Is it a good business call for an investor? Or is it even a better potential purchase than it was two weeks ago because it could be a cheaper option? Well, I think I think you're absolutely right. It could now be classified as a distressed asset. And normally you'd expect a, a discount under those circumstances. So uh, prospective owners, uh, they, they will not see what happened to Roman Abramovich yesterday as, as being too high a hurdle for them to overcome. And it, and it could work in their benefit. Um, is Chelsea an attractive uh, financial proposition? Well, if you're going to run it in the same way as Roman Abramovich has done, which which was very much as a trophy asset, as a glorified executive toy that it, that he used to uh, you know uh, have fun with himself, then then you'd you'd certainly say no. Chelsea has lost more money uh, than any other club in the history of the Premier League, more than nine hundred million pounds uh, since 1992. So so that uh, that again would perhaps encourage people to reduce the price they're prepared to pay. But if they decide to run it on a more under more sensible business lines, and we've seen new owners come in at the likes of of Liverpool who have, who have operated on a break-even basis, then then it all of a sudden changes uh, it changes tack. Um, and uh, I would imagine that given Chelsea's location, uh, it's in London, it's in the right part of London, it's got all of those uh, it's got all of those trophies to to effectively inherit uh, from a, from a history and heritage point of view. Then there's going to be a lot of people still interested. Kieran, in terms of selling the club, we can obviously talk about the government allowing people to inquire about buying the club. But I guess for me, it's a far more Spartan question, which is what is the value of Chelsea at the moment? You mentioned how it might be a distressed asset, but who's setting the price here? Because obviously we know Abramovich wanted three billion, but if the club's sold, he's the 100% majority stakeholder. He's not going to be able to see any of those profits due to the sanctions that have been imposed by the government. So in terms of a potential sale, let's say we do see Chelsea sold before that expiry of the license on the 31st of May. Who's setting the price? Is it the government? Will there be an independent regulator who values the club? That's what's interesting me. Well, yes, I think exactly, uh, Niall, that the the three billion pounds, which which was being touted around, and I'm, and I'm sure we've spoken to the same sources as to where that that price originally came from. Uh, to me, looking at it from a from a financial modelling, from a nerd perspective, um, it was always top heavy. Uh, because not only is it going to cost you, if you're paying three billion, you're acquiring Stamford Bridge, uh, and Stamford Bridge is a problem because it's got a capacity of forty-one thousand. Uh, it is looking a little bit tired in places. Uh, the you know, Roman Abramovich had originally spoken about moving to a, a bigger, more modern stadium, and and Chelsea have been overtaken. They've been overtaken in London itself. We 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 have uh, Arsenal, Spurs, and West Ham all playing playing in sixty thousand capacity stadiums. If you take a look at the match day revenues that Chelsea are earning, realistically, they're probably going to generate thirty to forty million pounds a season less than than Spurs, who have who have invested heavily. So you'd you'd have the the construction costs of you know, at least another billion pounds, possibly more, to add on to the purchase price if if you want to carry Chelsea forwards. 
So I, I don't think the the asking price was particularly realistic. Um, I, I think they were they were trying to froth up uh, interest from from rich people to to hold them off against one another. Um, then when it comes to the sale proceeds. Roman Abramovich had put out a press release to say, and, and here I think the wording requires a degree of caution, the net proceeds not defined would be given to the victims of the conflicts, victims not defined. Um, so uh, I think there was there was caution there. Um, but the, the government can certainly uh, you know, bring in rules. And remember, no, no financial institution is going to want to, to be tainted by by uh, getting involved in this, where where the government comes out of this unhappy, because you know the, that the, the the financial institution risks going on a, on a on a list of undesirables itself. How much culpability do you think that the Premier League needs to take for the situation around Chelsea? Because reports claim that only fifteen minutes before the announcement was made public, that was when the Premier League found out, and I don't mean that in a disparaging way towards the Premier League, but in terms of what we see with the ownership in the Premier League at the moment. We're only one political problem or financial meltdown away from a club going out of business. We've seen that here in a really high profile case with Chelsea. We know about the owners at Manchester City and Newcastle, which we've spoken about on this podcast before. So it feels almost like we're in quite a precarious situation where it only takes one flashpoint somewhere else in the world to trigger problems for English football here. Well, you're absolutely right. And this is a function of self-regulation. Um, under the the rules of the Premier League, the owners and directors test is effectively dictated by uh, a, a minimum of fourteen people voting for a an individual proposal. Now, if you are the owner of of a football club, do you want to change the rules in such a way that it's going to make it more difficult for you to sell your club? So the, that's why perhaps the rules. Uh, when they, when they have been observed, when they have been uh, subject to scrutiny, do appear relatively relaxed uh, in in the eyes of some, because it's not in the interests of individual owners to have more, uh, you know, to have to have rules which are are more difficult to comply with, because that reduces the pool of people who are potentially going to buy your football club. If if we take a look at Tracy Crouch's proposals, which was to take away. Uh, that ability from effectively owners uh, determining the, the the decisions with regards to who can uh, who can control a football club and, and uh, bring it in, in under the realm of of an independent organisation, you know we could uh, introduce a a moral, ethical, human rights based uh, approach. Although the football industry will claim. Why are you doing this to us? We're one of the most successful industries uh, in in the UK. You're not doing it to the the armaments industry. You're you're not doing it to the automobile industry. You're not doing it to to exports of of alcohol and and, and cigarettes and other products. So so we feel that we are being uh, expected to live to a a higher standard than than other uh, other industries in the UK. Kieran, just on the um, in the last couple of days, we've seen you know uh, three UK and. Um, potentially Nike like distancing themselves from Chelsea, and we, you know, we've seen it in recent times with West Ham and Kurt Zuma. They lost a lot of sponsorship and things like that. Chelsea's sponsors are sort of lining up to to sort of get away from the sinking ship type of thing. Where where did Chelsea go from from here to rectify that? Because assuming they all leave, you know, um, attracting new sponsors to a club with this cloud hanging over them is is something that would uh, would not be very straightforward. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, if if Chelsea continue to be associated with Roman Abramovich uh, and and until the club finds new owners, um, no uh, no sponsor is is going to step forwards because why why do sponsors get involved with football clubs in the first place? It's because the football club provides a billboard for the brand of the sponsor. Now, if the football club is tainted through association with the owner, then the the sponsor indirectly becomes tainted, and people will say, "Well, you know, three are you indirectly supporting Roman Abramovich and therefore Vladimir Putin in terms of uh, what, what he is doing in terms of the 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 invasion and and the the destruction that's taking place in Ukraine." Um, there's no sponsor that's going to be willing to pay for that. So, um, whilst we're in a a state of uh, indeterminate. Uh, position with regards to the ownership of Chelsea, um, it can only be bad news from a commercial perspective. 
Is this completely unprecedented, the situation we're seeing here? I don't think something similar has happened in UK football. I might be wrong, but is there something in world football we can look to and go kind of, OK, this is how this is panning out? No, no, there hasn't been. I mean, the only thing we can perhaps look at is the uh, is, is the, the drawn out issues uh, in, in relation to the takeover of Newcastle United um, and, and that has uh, that has still left some people unhappy uh, in terms of uh, you know a, a new owner coming in uh, who some people claim uh, has a direct association with with the government um, although as far as the Premier League is concerned um, there there are uh, suitable steps of, of separation so that's that's a, probably the closest thing we took and remember that took three years to resolve. Finish with a bit of positivity for us, Kieran, because I think for Chelsea fans, they're going to be pretty miserable after the last couple of days of news. What's the best case scenario that Chelsea fans can hope for now? Right. Best best case scenario is that, uh, that the, the gov- it's in the interests of the government, the Premier League, Roman Abramovich and Chelsea Football Club for a new owner to be found and that the proceeds of the sale of the club are kept away from Roman Abramovich. That is not an insurmountable problem. So um, Richard Masters has said that uh, the quickest deal that's ever gone through in the history of the Premier League is 10 days. Uh, you know, Could we be talking about new owners of Chelsea at the end of the month? I, I think that could be challenging because uh, we are talking of, of, a, of a potential purchase price of yeah, you know, one and a half to two billion is more realistic than three, um, but uh, you know it, that 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 can go through. And and when there's monies around, I can assure you, accountants, lawyers, and investment bankers are capable of working twenty four hours a day, and they'll certainly be charging you for twenty four hours a day, even if they're not doing the work, <laughs> um, in, in order to get the deal over the line. Uh, and and also from a new owner's point of view, you know, in respect of of, you know, of Marley's comment that um, they will want to be in. in in situ as quickly as possible because they've got to repair reputations. They've got to go forwards and, and say to three, look, you're now acquiring Chelsea and it's it's you know it's Joe Schmo from you know, Louisiana is in charge and you know I'm I'm not I'm not connected to Vladimir Putin. And you know we 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 we, we go forward um with with more guaranteed revenues. Kieran, as always fascinating to talk to you. I'm sure there's plenty more chat about this Chelsea issue and the other parts of the world of football business on your podcast price of football with kevin day it's always a fascinating listen so appreciate your time today on football social daily thanks very much for the invite chaps football social daily subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode football social daily find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Loads of football on last night. Ten Premier League teams in action. Four Premier League games. So there's a lot to get through. So I've got a bit of an idea of how we're going to get through this quickly. We're going to do some one-line roundups. So we're going to rattle through last night's games in turn. And Niall and Marley are going to tell us their thoughts on those games. But just one comment. No arguments. No monologues. Just kind of a little summary of how that game went. Are you okay with this, boys? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's have no, a go. I want to do a two thousand word review on how we made it nine, nine, nine unbeaten. So, Marley, you two, I'll do your lines. I'll do the monologue. I know your, uh, I know your work ethic. You are not doing a two thousand word review. <laughs> You're doing it on meme, one hundred and forty characters. Mm. All right, let's crack on with this. We've got loads to get through. Like I said, let's start with Norwich City one, Chelsea three, Nile. Well, yesterday on the podcast, we were reacting to the news that Chelsea had been sanctioned by the UK government and that the asset that is Chelsea Football Club was frozen due to the fact that they were owned by Roman Abramovich. And obviously, we've just heard from Kieran uh, about some of the fallout on that, uh, as well as the discussions we had yesterday. Obviously, it came on a match day. The announcement was the morning of the game last night between Norwich and Chelsea at Carrow Road. And I was wondering whether this would affect the players and whether that would give Norwich their best possible chance of uh, reversing the result against Chelsea, which they suffered earlier on in the season, their heaviest defeat of the campaign, where they got beaten 7-0 uh, back in October, November at Stamford Bridge. Um, wasn't the case. Three minutes on the clock, Trevor Chalabar scores. I was completely wrong. And yesterday you said 
Jim, that sometimes these moments of adversity, adversity can actually galvanise a group of players. And I've seen evidence of that in the past, but it didn't feel quite like that was going to happen. It felt like a very dark day for Chelsea yesterday and their fans. There was a lot of uh, sort of gloominess around the club, but that wasn't on display when it comes to the players. Um, I know Norwich is probably the easiest opponent you could handpick out of the Premier League in terms of someone you want to face when you're not really in the in the best frame of mind. Um, but it didn't take Chelsea long to hit their straps. Three minutes, as I say, they were 2-0 up, I think, inside the first half. Uh, Tiamu Puki did score a penalty to, to bring Norwich back into it, but uh, Kai Havertz with a really accomplished finish. And Chelsea... It was almost as if they carried on where they had left off. And a week on from when Abramovich announced on the match day against Luton in the FA Cup, well, that was a bit more of a struggle, Chelsea against Luton, than it was Chelsea against Norwich last night. So we have to remember it's the same players that Chelsea have got. It's the same manager that Chelsea have got at the moment. The same goals are still there to win the Champions League, win the FA Cup and finish in the top four. And that showed no signs of changing last night. So routine for Chelsea, despite all of the stuff going on around them. I did like Thomas Tuchel's comments after the game as well, saying as long as we've got some blue shirts, as long as we've got a team bus, we're still Chelsea Football Club. And it's <laughs> Newcastle next for Chelsea. They played Southampton last night. Another win for the Magpies. Marley, it was Southampton 1, it was Newcastle 2. It was, yes. It was Newcastle 2, Southampton 1. Ralph Hasenhutl in a little puddle of his own tears. Um, and <laughs> I was an honorary magpie last night. Oh, man. Yeah, it was It was mint. I, you know, yesterday, you know, I said, said that we're sort of looking forward to the game and and uh, in, a, in a good moment, of course, um, you know, for obvious reasons. But, yeah, I mean, it culminated into a win. We've got a really good record against uh, Southampton. Yeah, I think they beat us once in, well, it's the last, once in the last 10 games now, so... They usually don't beat us, um, and after getting smacked around by Villa at the weekend, I was even more confident. And it was even when we went one nil down, I thought we're not out of this. We we will score at least one goal, and I've obviously not thought about that for not thought that about my club for for quite a while um, over the last couple of years. So um, performances were brilliant. We were missing Jolinton, we we're missing Saint Maximan. Um, still, you know, Trippier and, and a few others out of the uh, of the squad, so we were nowhere near our strongest lineup. Um, but Bruno Gimares came in and managed to score probably the sexiest goal he'll ever score in his career um, on his first start for us and, and win the game. So oh, what a goal it was! Oh, it was a ridiculous goal. Um, and Dan Byrne with the header down as well. He was colossal again. He's been absolutely fantastic since he came in, um, and it was absolutely nailed on that. That two of the January signings would score the goal, um, score the goals <laughs> that that would win us the game because Hasenhutl has been mourning since November that uh, that these these players shouldn't be able to play and is it fair and blah 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 and oh you manufactured a a, a postponement so your your squad could be stronger in the return game and that's not really the case it's just I think a few people got COVID which they tend to do in a global pandemic so um, yeah. It was uh, it was always going to happen like that. It was always going to be sod's law, and um, I even had Chris, I even had uh, money on Chris Wood scoring last night, and that paid off quite nicely because I was like, as soon as as soon as he's starting the game against uh, Wingy Hazelnutel, this is this is happening, <laughs> and John Joe Shelby dropped a superb ball onto his head for the equaliser, and happy days. Ten points clear of the relegation zone now, and amazingly, only fourteen points below. European places as well so it just goes to show how things have turned around for Newcastle on to yeah. Wolves versus Watford I called this as a 1-0 to Wolverhampton Wanderers they managed to complete that within 13 minutes the game finished 4-0 Nile. yeah it did and you called a 1-0 win for Wolverhampton Wanderers over Watford but you also said this yesterday they shouldn't worry about Watford because Watford are absolutely f- awful <laughs> <laughs> the profits i mean the it's hardly nostradamus is it <laughs> no it's not but like london buses you predicted chelsea would be fine and will galvanize against norwich they did and you predicted that watford were absolutely f-ing awful and they were um as you say they were three nil <laughs> down in... shout to them to be fair he's done really really well i mean will he make it a hat trick really better than his, his neck out better than his uh who knows wins predictions anyway but we'll get on to that a little bit later <laughs> yeah. um yeah i mean watford are going down aren't they I mean, on that display um, yesterday, mm-hmm. I think Roy Hodgson, it was a thankless task. I mean, he's uh, mid 70s. He hadn't been tapped up by anyone since leaving Crystal Palace. Everyone thought that he was basically unofficially retired. Watford come calling. 
it's a win-win situation for Roy Hodgson. If he doesn't keep them up, everyone says, oh, well, they're a bit of a, a crazy club that changes managers all the time and, and they were always going to struggle. Uh, and if he does keep them up, then, you know, Roy's a genius. What a way to end his career. I don't think it impacts him whatsoever in terms of his reputation as a manager, his legacy, what he's achieved in the game over the 40 years or whatever it is that he's been a football manager. So um, I think Ben Foster was to blame last night. Someone so experienced between the sticks for Watford, you'd, you'd think would be able to, to perform a little bit better than he did. Um, you know, his distribution was was poor. He was at fault for at least one of the goals, if not two. So um, I don't think it helps when your goalkeeper's throwing the ball to an opponent in a match where you basically have to win. So yeah, Watford weren't very good last night. Um, when Roy Hodgson first came in, I think they... They, they steadied the ship. The first game was a nil-nil and then they lost one nil and then two and then three. And now they're just gradually conceding more and more and more. So um, for, for Wolves to be able to score um, that many goals from a side who haven't scored that regularly this season, they've been tight at the back and they tend to edge games out, like you say. Um, I think that that was more of a marker of how poor Watford have been recently rather than how good Wolves are. But that being said, there were a number of excellent goals on display last night. You've mentioned Bruno Gimaresh's effort um, I'm sure we'll come on to one of the goals in the Aston Villa game, but beautiful chipped effort from Ruben Neves to, to loft it over Foster and into the far corner. That was an excellent goal, and we were treated to some really nice strikes last night. Great goal that that, that a goalkeeper like Foster shouldn't be conceded because he stood five yards out from his goal, wouldn't he? He's like, well, listen, I like Ben Foster. I know he's trying to build a bit of a, a profile for himself outside of the game. He's got his YouTube channel where he sticks the GoPro in goal, and the Watford fans are starting to get a bit annoyed at it because um, obviously he's rattling in goals every week. You know, in terms of the, conceding, it's it's busy, yeah. he's, got, to he's got so many memory cards on the go right now. It's uh, it's mental. <laughs> but I mean, I can understand why the Watford fans would be annoyed. But I mean, it's it's quite clear that. Ben Foster knows that his career is coming to an end. So, um, so yeah, I mean, that'll be disappointing for Watford, but not anything that Jim didn't predict yesterday with his uh, with his wise words on the Hornets. Let's talk about that Aston Villa game. They couldn't quite match Wolves. They only managed the three goals against Leeds United, whose hopes of a new start under their new manager haven't lasted very long, Marley. No, not at all. Um, I think the performance I mentioned yesterday, the performance at the weekend against Leicester was was pretty good. Um, you know, something certainly to build on. Um, and, and Jesse Marsh said before this game, you know, we've got a we've got a plan for Coutinho. We've got we've got something to uh, to shut him down, and we we know what to expect. And twenty two minutes into the game, Coutinho slams in the opener, and you're thinking, right now what? Because now it's about scoring goals and you have to score. At that point, you have to score at least two to win the game and Leeds haven't done that for a little while. I think they haven't won a game since they beat West Ham um, down at the London Stadium 3-2 when Jack Harrison scored that hat-trick. Um, and other than other than sort of... Well, there, there just wasn't it wasn't much from Leeds. There wasn't much to, to shout about. They, they had two shots in the entire game. One was Bamford ballooning one that landed on the, uh, the motorway that runs past Leeds' stadium. Um, it was it was just like it looked like relegation. Um, Their defense is form. awful, Marley. Honestly, it's shocking. It is, yeah. I mean, they it, you can go back to the the injuries as well, but you still hope that even your third and fourth choice centre backs are, are better than what they are because you know Strauch. I mean, he's, he's, he's got the guy's got lovely hair, but he's a terrible defender. I mean. <laughs> Yeah. He's like, I mean, Ailing got done for the first goal. Yeah. Strike got the uh, got the deflection as well yeah. off of him. Yeah. And Firpo was was just oh, was just all over the place. Firpo's defending for Cash's goal is is ridiculous. Like, how are you letting Cash come inside there? It's, it's the only touch you can take if you if you watch the goal back. You know, you can see what's going to happen before um, before Cash even does it. And then even the finish is 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 poor really because Meslier should save it, but you feel sorry for Meslier. Christ, he's like the uh, he's like that meme off Lord of the Rings where, you know, the guy's got his sword and the entire army's coming towards against him. That is that is being Leeds <laughs> that is Leeds goalkeeping situation right now and uh they it doesn't take long this is the thing Leeds are, are really facing as well. It does not take long for um the the fan base to then turn around and go, Why did we get rid of Bielsa? Because he was so loved that, you know, a couple of bad results and people like we should never have got rid of him. This guy's crap. Americans have never done it in the Premier League, and the, the slightly xenophobic uh, like attitude that comes with that as well. Um, and that that's happening. 
you've seen it last night all over Twitter. How the hell do we get rid of uh, Bielsa for this guy? He's, he's unproven, he's done this and that. He's, our defence is still bad. We're still playing rubbish, man for man. Might not have worked, but neither is his, uh, his philosophy of, of this. And Leeds, Leeds are banging trouble because the only way Leeds stay up is if Burnley lose all the games from now to the end of the season. And as we know with Burnley, they are... They are like Japanese, not we. They do not go away. They get stronger as the season goes on, and they might just eke out some wins. And you'd fancy them if they win two games. Will Leeds win? You know, will Will Leeds pick up another three or four points to get back above them in that fight? And I'm I'm not sure they can playing like this unless unless Phillips and Cooper and and uh, Lorente come back and really improve them. Twenty four goals conceded in the last eight games. That's an average of three a game, which is ridiculous over a run like that. How many is it this season? More than sixty now, isn't it? They've conceded. It's a lot. I don't mean because it's twenty four or eight. Or so. So I remember when Eddie Howe got relegated as the Bournemouth manager and they had conceded, I think, 58 goals one season and 60 in the other. And everyone was saying, you can't stay up in the Premier League if mm-hmm. you've conceded 60 goals in a season. It's March the 11th. They've already conceded more than 60 goals. It's a real problem. Bang in trouble. Bang in trouble, Leeds United. As for West Ham, they had a disappointing result last night in Sevilla. I'm going to take this one. There's not a huge amount to say, I don't think. It was kind of as expected. Sevilla were just the better team. They scored a great goal. West Ham will consider themselves lucky to come away with just a 1-0 loss for the home leg and probably lucky as well that away goals have been abolished this season. But we really <laughs> miss Jared Bowen. He was a massive miss. Fornells was incredibly wasteful with possession. Vlasic, here's another thing I called actually because Vlasic had his chance. He played the full game, missed an absolute sitter. And that was the West Ham's best chance of the game he missed. So I don't think West Ham's will be too disappointed. I'm disappointed in West Ham fans for the trouble that was in Sevilla ahead of the game, which again was kind of predictable, but very sad to see. But with a 1-0 loss, taking it back to the London Stadium, West Ham's still very much in the Europa League. As for the Europa League conference, that was Leicester versus Wren. Niall, your views on this? Did you watch it? Were you aware of it? (laughs) Well, actually, uh, the the game I did take in the most was the one that Marley's just discussed, Leeds against Aston Villa. And, um, you know, we've already, obviously already boxed that one off. But I did catch a little bit of this game, Leicester versus Wren. And it was a cagey game to start with. I think both sides um, were, were quite aggressive in terms of trying to figure each other out. And uh, in the end, uh, Leicester ended up uh, shining through in terms of quality. And that's something that we touched upon yesterday as well. Wren are in a good run of form in uh, Ligue 1 in France. I think they'd won four of their previous five league games before this trip to Leicester City. But King Power Stadium is generally quite a good hunting ground for Leicester. At least it has been in European competition. If I think back to their European matches this season, the first game of the campaign was a 2-2 draw with Napoli. Um, Napoli could well be in with a shout of winning the Italian title this season. So that's no shabby result at all. They were 2-0 up in that game as well and drew 2-2. Pats and Dak has been excellent in Europe this season. And the other games that Leicester had on home soil, um, including the recent one in the conference against Randers, They've they've run away with it really. They've they've been the better side. So home advantage was definitely um, at play last night, and I think that that's a benefit. The only problem is with Leicester is we know they can be a bit shaky at the back. So if things get a bit dicey in the second leg away at Rennes, and maybe the the French score a, a goal early to make it two one on aggregate, and then they get another, I think that is when you might want to start worrying about things as a Leicester fan. Um, but two 0 is a very comfortable scoreline, uh, and as we suggested, Leicester, despite the fact they're twelfth, thirteenth in the Premier League table at the moment, should be too strong for the French club. Um, looking at the teams that are in the Conference League, Leicester should go all the way. Really, um, they'll be disappointed if they don't reach at least the final, uh, but they're in a good spot to do so. So yeah. A good victory for them last night and we await the second leg in a couple of weeks. Yeah, if they get through this, it's Roma, isn't it? That's the potential banana skin. But other than that, you'd fancy them to win most of the games against other opposition left in the Europa Conference. Well, that was it. Double quick time. Stop the clock. I like that. We should do that again. A rattle through of last night's games. We're going to look ahead next, though, and give you details of how you might be able to get your hand on six grand. That would be a decent start to your weekend, wouldn't it? We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
Welcome back to Football Social Daily. The final bit of today's podcast is looking ahead to the weekend's Premier League action with Who Knows Wins, the betting game where you can take on your mates rather than the bookies. Over £2 million won on the app, which you can download now from the Play Store or the App Store. There's guaranteed winners every day. And all you need to do is pick the winners from the options available within the app. The one that we all play every single week is the Pick 10, which is 10 fixtures from the Saturday games. You pick your wins, your draws or your losses and you win a share of the jackpot. Five quid in, but you can win 6k as a jackpot if you get all 10 right and the only person to do so and then it kind of cascades down beyond that. Some of us have even won a little bit of cash here and there so far playing for the last three weeks. I'm not one of them, but there is 10k in the prize pot this weekend to be shared amongst the winners. And we've picked three games that we're going to do a quick preview of now and tell you who we're going for in terms of the results here. So the first one I've gone for is Manchester United versus Tottenham, which I think is probably the most enticing tie of the whole Premier League weekend. But who's the informed team here, Marley? Is it one of those really tough to call games or do you think there's a clear winner out of this one? Uh, I think this is really tough to call to be honest because you know both teams are at the best probably as good as each other but both teams haven't showed the best enough this this season you know they're very sort of erratic and up and down and you you remember the couple of years ago with with Mourinho coming to uh, Old Trafford with Spurs and and smashing Man U 6-1 and you know they're they're capable of results like that, and and Man United are capable of of capitulating um, as well as turning the team over. But I th- I think this one's really tight, and even though like my logic says suggests like that that it should be a draw, I wouldn't su- wouldn't be surprised with Man United's defence and Spurs coming off the back of a decent performance that uh, that Spurs would uh, would win this. So with with that said, I mean. I'd I'd probably just back in a, a slight Spurs win, like a a two one or a or a three two. Mm-hmm. I've backed a Spurs win in this one, Niall. But the other thing, the thing that's nagging away at the back of my head is that Derby Day loss, the humiliation that Manchester United had against Man City. And would you expect some kind of reaction from that Manchester United team? I mean, it's been levelled at them several times this season. They don't care. So will they have that reaction to the humbling they had against the noisy neighbours? Well, you'd like to think so, particularly with the game being at. Old Trafford. I think the thing for me is exactly that. At the Theatre of Dreams this season, it's not exactly been straightforward for Manchester United. There have been too many lacklustre results. A recent goalless draw against Watford there was a poor result. Um, A draw against Southampton at home was not a great result. They lost to Wolves at home as well, didn't they, recently? So, you know, they're not excellent results, really. Albeit, Ralph Rangnick has, has kept things quite tight. United haven't lost too many games under Rangnick but they also haven't won too many they, they, they've kind of been here and there and, and they've not been consistent enough um, and that's why only 26% of people despite the fact the games at Old Trafford have chosen Manchester United to win against Tottenham but that being said the reverse fixture um, before Christmas Tottenham were terrible they were absolutely shocking they got beat 3-0 Ronaldo scored a really good volley. Whether he'll be back in the fold this weekend remains to be seen because he missed the Manchester derby with a hip flexor injury. He's been over in Portugal rehabilitating that. Whether he'll be back involved in the squad, we we just don't know at this moment in time of recording this podcast. Um, But like I say, Tottenham were shocking um, in that game. Um, Marcus Rashford had the freedom of Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and scored a third goal. It it was far too simple for for Manchester United on on that occasion. But that's the thing. I think we we find here with this, this fixture, obviously massive top four implications United can't afford to lose to Tottenham really and vice versa because both of these sides are gunning for the top four and there's only one fourth spot available and currently Arsenal are in pole position for that so this is a really fascinating game in terms of the the race for Champions League football next season but you have here two inconsistent sides you've got a Tottenham side that can beat Manchester City and perform unbelievably well and then go and lose to Burnley and then you know, lose 3-2 to Southampton after being well in the game. So it is it's really difficult to, to call this one, um, I find. Uh, but hopefully it shapes up to be a good game. I think the smart money's on the draw here. Um, that's where 30% of people have gone. And I find it hard to split these two. So I'll be going for the draw. So draw for Marley and for me and... Sorry, draw for Niall and for me and Marley. We've gone for the, the Spurs win on that one. So next fixture... 
Everton versus Wolves I've picked for this one. Marley, what can Everton learn from Wolves when they look at that club in terms of how you can use a cash injection from a wealthy owner to kind of level up the football club and put some blueprints down when Everton are in a not dissimilar situation and it just seems to have gone horribly wrong for them. So what can they take away from Wolves and their strategy? Uh, I think I think something that every club can take from Wolves is their, their solid plan. Um, their plan was, you know, uh, probably... Having Chris, one. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, yeah, um, that is that is the crux of it. Wolves have a plan, and Everton don't have a plan. Everton's plan has always been spend a load of money and hope it hope we get up the league table, like a a kind of um, an arrogance of yeah. Well, if we spend more money than everyone else, we'll get up the table, and it simply doesn't work like that. It's why it's why clever businessmen don't get involved in football because you have got to spend a hell of a lot of money to on something where the chance of winning something is so slim that it makes absolutely no sense to do it. So. Uh, Wolves have seen that. Wolves, Wolves know that. And if you go back five or six years when they're in the championship and not really looking like coming up, um, they had the the plan to to make um, to make Wolves mini Portugal and uh, to use use an agent use an agent's influence on the game to to sign better players. And if you go back, you know, signing Neves, Moutinho, Jimenez, all players out of uh, George Mendes's little black book. Some people can say it's it's not very sort of. Uh, fair that they're using that relationship but there's nothing wrong with it and there's nothing in the rules that says you can't do that so it's a classic case of thinking outside the box people forget Wolves have got one of the, the richest men in the world richest groups in the world um, um, financing them I think it's a Chinese pharmaceutical company they've got more money than I think they've got more money than Man City or they've got maybe maybe Man City and Newcastle are the only, only clubs that have got more money than them but they don't They've 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 got money and a plan, whereas Everton have just got money and a crazy bloke in charge who wants to spend half a billion on a club, um, and not really you know take his chances basically try and take his chances. But obviously it isn't working like that. Um, and if you come down to the the game tomorrow, you know Wolves don't concede many, Everton don't score many, so it's it's going to be a tough game for for Everton, but. At the same time, it's clubs like Wolves that you can't you can't go into this game thinking, oh, we'll be lucky to get something there. You've got to go into this, uh, you, well, they've got to go into every game now, Everton, thinking we need this three points. You know, we've got really really hard games coming up. Wolves aren't quite as good as everybody else in that in this running, so we need these points now. Um, and they have to they have to pick up something quick because, as we were saying the other day on the podcast, you know, it's. It's time. It's panic stations for Everton. It's all hands to to the pump, um, and to get themselves out of this stuff because they had a horrendous result on Monday night, and they need to bounce back from that quickly. Positive news for Everton is that Dominic Calvert Lewin is fit again. He did play on Monday. He wasn't massively impressive on Monday, but then he's been out for such a long time. It takes players to get back to full game pace, but he has returned for Everton. Can he make enough of a difference between now and the end of the season? to get those results for Everton? Is he the missing piece of the puzzle that they need? Oh, it's a tough one. Like you say, he's been out for ages. He's pretty much been invisible this season just purely because of that injury, whereas last season he was someone who forced his way into the England team. I think he's really good in the air. I think he's excellent in the box. I think he's got so many good attributes that could make him a top striker in the Premier League, but he's not playing for a top club at the moment. He's playing for a club that are in disarray. Everton were dire against Tottenham. They just looked like, as you say, they lacked a plan. Lampard really needs to pick them up and dust them down. Whether Calvert-Lewin starts, I don't know, but they need to get something. Uh, And, you know, uh, Goodison Park as well, I think that's the key. This is one of eight games left this season at Goodison Park. That has to be the difference for Everton. They have to make Goodison Park as tough as possible for visiting sides. We know Wolves are a really difficult nut to crack. Only the top three in the Premier League at the moment, Liverpool, Chelsea and Manchester City, have a tighter defence than Wolves. So they're going to need something. They're going to need Calvert-Lewin to, to hit the straps soon and not, you know, kind of take some time to get back into a stride after injury. They can't afford to because, you know, if they keep playing like this, they are going to be banging a relegation fight. They already are. And I think that at the moment, Everton are lucky that Leeds look worse than them. Watford and Norwich look worse than them. You know, and Burnley have got a couple of games in hand, but we know, as Marley says, sometimes they can pull a result out of nowhere. Everton need to start winning games at home. It's as simple as that. They've got more home games than away. When the fans at Goodison Park are bouncing and they can get behind the team, they can be a, a different factor. They can be a difference maker. Obviously, trying to stay upbeat and confident and um, you know uh, enthusiastic when your side are getting panned every week is not easy. 
Um, I think the fans understand Lampard. I think the fans wanted Lampard maybe more than some of the other candidates that were available. It was never going to work with Rafa Benitez. I think we knew that. Um, it, it was crying out for a change. I'm not surprised that Benitez got sacked, but there's no honeymoon period for Frank Lampard. I think he won a couple of cup games, but so what? They need to stay up in the Premier League and it's going to be a real tough test against Wolverhampton Wanderers, but they just have to find something. You know, they, ha- they have to look around at each other in the dressing room uh, you know, as teammates and think, are you up for this? Have you got what it takes? Because there are players in that dressing room who have um, got something to prove. Some of the young players like Calvert-Lewin trying to get back in the England team. There are others that do have something to prove, but, you know, it doesn't really matter. Like Van der Beek, for example. If he goes down with Everton, it's okay. You can just go back to United because he's on loan. Um, Andros Townsend, he's played in the championship before. You know, we're talking about players here that have they got the guts to stand up and keep Everton in the Premier League. That's what we need to see. And that's what Lampard needs to instill in those players. And if he can do that against Wolves this weekend and Everton can pick up a win, then um, I think that they should be all right. But if they lose, then it's it's looking grim for them. I think this is a tough one. I think a point will be enough for Everton this weekend, I I think, to, to kind of give them a bit of something, a bit of respite, because anything will be better than that drubbing they suffered to Spurs. 23% of people on the Who Knows Wins app are very optimistic that Everton can get something out of this. They've gone for the win. I haven't. I've gone for a relatively easy Wolves victory. So you're going for the draw, are you, Niall? I think so. I just think that okay. I, I can't see Everton... Um, we know Wolves' defence is tight and Everton haven't scored that many goals recently, so I, I think that the draw would be the sensible choice. And Marley, what are you going for? Uh, because it's at Goodison, I'm going for a, going for a draw. Um, I think if it was at Molyneux, they wouldn't have a chance, but yeah, goalless draw probably. Final game we're going to look at is Leeds versus Norwich. Man, this is a big game for Leeds United. I mean, if they don't win this, Marley, if they don't manage to score a few past Norwich and get three points. Is that it? Is that give up, go home, pack your bags? Yeah, could be. Um, Marsh, Marsh might be on the, the first plane back over the Atlantic, I think. Um, he's not... I mean, you can't ask for, for an easier game, could you? You couldn't, like like you're saying with Chelsea before, if you're in crisis, you need to play Norwich because they've, they've slacked off a lot. In, in You know, started off well under Dean Smith. Um they have receded to to a point where they're, they're just too easy to beat, too easy to play against. There's not enough fight or aggression or or quality in that squad. Um, Leeds do have a little bit of quality, you know. Rafinha has been has been pretty poor this season, to be fair, but he's still got that that level where if he can hit his hit his top form, he can destroy most teams in the league. If we're being honest, so. Um, he shouldn't really have too much problems against Norwich if he turns up, but he hasn't turned up much this season so far. So, um, yeah, in terms of the the sort of game, this is huge for Leeds. If they if they lose now, that atmosphere will be horrendous. It will be absolutely toxic um, at the club, and it'll all be doom and gloom even more than it is, and even more than it has been over the last three or four months. Because you know they they need to get something. Um, Will they get something? I'm not sure. I've seen enough from Leeds to say, you know what, I'm confident you're going to score and keep Norwich out of the other side. Um, but having seen Norwich against Brentford, who were a similar sort of level team last week and go down, you know, without a fight, you never know. So uh, I think it's quite a tough one to predict, to be fair. But if I have to go for something, I'd probably go for a very narrow Leeds win. I mean,. Part of the problem with these two teams is they do lack a little bit of depth in terms of the quality they have. And I was looking at Leeds and Norwich's squad, Nile and thinking, who would you pick off from these teams? If they both got relegated, who would you go in and pick up? And you've got Rafina and Calvin Phillips at Leeds United. Previously at, Nor- previously at Norwich, I would have said Max Ahrens, but he's not really been at the races this season. Is that kind of the problem? Is that when you look at the two teams, there just isn't enough quality for the Premier League in there. Yep. That's exactly it. That is exactly it. You've got two sides here coming up against each other, both of whom have conceded the most goals in the Premier League this season. Uh, Norwich have conceded 61 and Leeds have conceded 64. Two terrible defences. Two defences that I think would probably concede a few in the Championship if they carry on playing like this. Um, I think that's the difference. I think that's the difference. I think 
Leeds are better going forward. They've scored more goals this season. Norwich have only scored 17, the fewest of any side in the Premier League, whereas Leeds have scored 29 in their games so far this campaign. So with Bamford coming back from injury, missed a good chance against Aston Villa um, last night. I think he could be perhaps the difference maker. Calvin Phillips has obviously been a huge blow, but I think we're beyond the point now where you can blame injuries on Leeds United's form. I I think that 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 moment has passed they've had enough with players out of the team to be able to maybe try and just establish some sort of rhythm without those players in the side they haven't been able to do it and um, there is a distinct lack of quality there but I'd say that on paper Norwich have a a, a worse side than Leeds United do and and, and you're right I don't think there'd be too many people picking off Norwich's players Um, obviously we knew that Daniel Farker when he was the manager of Norwich was capable of of galvanising them in the championship and bringing them back up. Um, will Dean Smith do that? I'm not sure. We'll, we'll wait and see. He's obviously done it before with Aston Villa. He's managed Brentford in the championship, so he knows the level well. Um, for Leeds United, uh, it's it's a must win, isn't it? Like They have to win, like you said a minute ago. If, if they don't win this game against Norwich, then the despair will spiral into overdrive. And Jesse Marsh, as, as Marley says, will get some serious scrutiny. Um, although, be, albeit, I don't think it's too much his problem. I just don't think the players are good enough. I think they were probably batting above their station for a long time, Leeds United. If you look at the side that finished, I'm not sure where they finished last season. Was it 11th or something? The side that finished comfortably mid-table in the Premier League last season. You look at the squad and the players they had. There's no way they should have finished there. So it's a massive overachievement. And some might say that's testament to Bielsa and the extra juicy squeezes out of the players with the methods. But he's gone. And I always worried for Leeds when Bielsa left. I've said this on the podcast a number of times. If he gets sacked or walked away... Everything revolved around Marcelo Bielsa. It was Marcelo Bielsa's club. You know, he was almost more famous than the players and and more focus was put on him than the players. Well, now it's all down to the players because people aren't going to be looking at Jesse Marsh as the Messiah. He's a good coach and he's proven that in Salzburg and he's come through a good system in, in the Red Bull system. But is he good enough to keep Leeds up with the players that he's got? Is he good enough to improve the players that Leeds have got and make them better? I'm not so sure. So I think much like what I said about Everton, it's on these Leeds players to just dig deep and find something. Because if they keep conceding goals at the rate they're conceding, they do so against Norwich and they get beat at the weekend. I, I really do think that they could be in the bottom three come the end of the season. Who's the winning? Who's winning this one? And let me let me say that in a way that makes sense. Who do you think will win? <laughs> <laughs> it's at Ellen Road, right? So yeah, I think Leeds have to win. I think it'll be. I, I, think, I think Leeds will win. I think Bamford back it'd be a different. If he starts, he played half an hour off the bench against Villa. If Bamford starts, Leeds win. I think Leeds are well. I think it's been so long for Norwich since they last picked up a victory. They've forgotten how to. So I think Leeds <laughs> could just about edge this one. Right. There are our picks for who knows wins. If you want to join us in the Pick 10 League or any of the other games that are available, you can get the app. You can get it for free in the App Store or in Google Play. Six grand up for grabs for the jackpot winner in the Pick 10 League. But there is loads of different games and loads of money you can win from your mates. Go head to head. Take them on rather than taking on the bookies. But that is it for today's Football Social Daily. Have a great weekend and we'll see you on the other side. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.